Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, what's going on, man? We're getting ready to go to, to build, aren't we? Yeah, the build event is approaching and, you know, the usual level of chaos. There's a new podcasting space, so we'll be having some fun there. We're right across the hallway from Channel 9. Which is going to be awesome. Yeah, we might even end up with some Channel 9 time. There's still conversations going on there, so. Yeah, well, I think we're going to try to do some live streaming as well. Yeah, I think we should. It yeah. seems to be the hip thing. It's what all the cool kids are doing these days. Right. I've been cracking that nut a lot lately, so I'm, I'm coming prepared. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, very good. Looking forward to it. It'll be an adventure. So, speaking of children's games, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? I really wasn't speaking of children's games, but I will be now. <laughs> Fizzbuzz. What's a Fizzbuzz? Fizzbuzz started as a kid's game to teach him math. You sort of sit around in a, in a circle, you know, you start counting up from one to a hundred or whatever. Right. And if the number is divisible by three, you say fizz instead of the number. I guess it could be a drinking game too, right? If the number is divisible by five, you say buzz instead of the number. And if it's divisible by three and five or 15, you say fizz buzz. Okay. So, but it also has become a way to weed out non-programmers during a, you know, for a job interview. So, you write a program that does that, you know, instead of, uh, in, you know, instead of just saying it. So, this, what I have today is an enterprise edition of Fizzbuzz. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's on GitHub. Wow. Basically, it's a way to teach enterprise software uh, architecture using a very common and well-known problem to solve but it's kind of sarcastic it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek but what's cool about it is there's like over 200 uh open issues demanding more ritual and fashion <laughs> <laughs> yes of course right there add blockchain because of course add blockchain <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and gdpr compliance <laughs> yeah they've got spring in there they've oh, got uh, all sorts of crazy stuff and it just is Swatting a fly with a Buick, as yeah. I used to say. Yep, the definitely enterprise class fizz buzz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many lines of code could I <laughs> do, do this thing? That's right. That's hilarious. All right, that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? I went back to the Wayback Machine a little there. Because, ah. you know, I don't know if you know this, but Mr. Lotka has been on the show a couple of times. A couple of times. So, this is actually a comment from 1156, which is June of 2015. When we talked about .NET everywhere, it was at the beginning of sort of the open source version of .NET, .NET Core, and all of that stuff, and uh, also the beginning of uh, Rocky's new Aorta, which yeah. talked a bit a bit on the show. But this particular comment, I like looking back three years and saying uh, the sort of 
relevance of this. This is from uh, the pseudonym. I presume it's a pseudonym because nobody would name their child this. Mostly Lucid. <laughs> and Mostly says, uh, wow, your show <laughs> is scary and how it seems to keep reading my mind uh. or peeking into my workflow. Perfect timing on the import and export service for Azure. The mm -hmm. more I use Azure, the more I use it. Mm -hmm. I like that line. Yeah. It sounds silly to say it that way, but it's like a never-ending rabbit hole of interesting and useful stuff. So, thanks for another great show. Cool. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see Azure slowly penetrating into folks, and the more you use it, the more you use it. I tell you what, I used uh, Azure, something that I hadn't used before. I used it a, a couple of days ago. I had a database that I needed to upgrade. And oh. of course, you know, backing up SQL uh, databases is really easy. And in fact, in Azure, you don't have to do anything. You can just go and restore from a point in the past. Right. And also copying to a new database is really easy. There's a, when you just in the SQL Azure dashboard, there's a copy button. Oh. And you just say, all right, what do you want to name the new one? And then it copies it, and when it's done, it says, okay. And then you can roll back to a previous version. And, uh, yeah, that came in really handy. That's the best IT experience of backing up, restoring of a database that I think I've ever had. Stuff that's normally terrifying just yeah. works. Yep. Yeah, that's a great description of cloud done right. You just know, that's press normally the terrifying. Yeah, just push that button. <laughs> press the You're button. all good. Yeah. So, Mostly, thank you so much for your comment, and a collection of music to code by is on its way to you, and if you'd like to get this amazing set of awesome sounds by my friend Carl Franklin, yeah. write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com, or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+, and if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Fizz. Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, we uh, we figured we'd we we just about run out of mugs and uh, want to switch it up a little bit. So we figured we'd give away something that's a little more useful to developers. So music to code by collection is coming your way. Yep, pretty good stuff. Yeah. So let's get to our guest, of course, Rockford Lotka, otherwise known as Rocky, is the CTO at Magenic which is one of the nation's premier Microsoft Gold certified partners dedicated to solving today's most challenging business problems. He's the creator of the widely used CSLA.net open source development framework and is a Microsoft regional director and MVP. He speaks at many conferences and user groups around the world and is a frequent guest on .NET Rocks. Welcome back, my friend. It's great to be here. Nice talking to you guys. Buzz, buzz, fizz. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> fizz, fizz, buzz. <laughs> oh, boy. The insider joke day. That's uh, what it's going to be. That just tickled me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, You know, speaking of other things that are sort of symbols of being the digerati, <laughs> you know, my, my family all have, you know, custom domains for their email addresses. Of course. And uh, my wife's preferred uh, email address starts as mail at, and then her, literally her name. <laughs> right yeah. which when you're a, a the fellow digerati you see an email like that you're like ah okay you punch at a higher level right yeah that's right <laughs> well apparently the local community center has a filter over any mail info uh, management admin and won't allow you to use those to subscribe to things wow <laughs> so she's like i can make you a new alias if you'd like how about community center is an idiot at 
Yeah, right. How about spam bot at? That'd be fun. Let's see the see what happens when you do that. Yeah. See how they react that way. How about dumb spam bot? <laughs> dumb <laughs> spam bot. Let's go full Delete me it. at. <laughs> well, Rocky, man, what's up? I, I see that you are as enamored with Blazor and WebAssembly as we have been. And uh, it just seems to be where everybody's focusing their attention these days, not just on um, WebAssembly, but, you know, marrying sort of uh, C Sharp or, you know, and other languages in the .NET framework into the browser. Well, and not just the .NET framework, but uh, I think because we come from the Microsoft background, we often are looking at this from a, boy, we can get .NET in the browser, but it's important to remember that WebAssembly is a, a neutral thing. It's not a Microsoft thing. Sure. Sure. So it's not just .NET, it's C and Go and Rust and yeah, Python. All these things. Um, you know, and I, I think Microsoft and the Microsoft community uh, clearly have jumped on this because, and I think it's because we've got a multi-decade history of writing rich, smart client apps. Mm. And, uh, you know, originally on Windows for, what, 20 plus years. And then, you know, Windows development, has largely fallen by the wayside in favor of something, anything that can go cross-platform uh, and have web-style deployment, right. which frankly has been the web. Weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird indeed. All of a sudden, we've got this uh, really awesome, I think, opportunity to bring a lot of, you know, the word monoculture, the JavaScript monoculture mm. or hege hegemony. Those mm. are a couple of my favorite words right um but any platform that is bound to one programming language only is pretty limited yeah and really limits the kind of thought and creativity that gets applied to that platform yeah and so i think uh you know not the javascript and angular and react all that stuff's not going to go away by any stretch but what this does is the same thing that we saw with uh java you know, 20 years ago, which is originally, it was just this one language monoculture. And at, over time, they opened it up so that you end up with uh, some of the more popular JDK languages aren't in fact Java. Which I always thought was a very cool thing, right? This idea of it's just a runtime, play with language, which was always .NET and the CLR's claim to fame. Yep, exactly right. And so I, I think... Yeah, you know, in my mind, this is like doubly awesome because on one level, you've got just WebAssembly itself. And I would be really surprised if we, especially given the popularity of Go, uh, if we don't see some really interesting UI framework or frameworks come out of the Go community, I'd, I'd be disappointed, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, but then conversely, uh, on the .NET side, you know, we're bringing... Uh, you know, I think ultimately what we'll see is a lot of, uh, not just C-sharp, but F-sharp and um, a lot of the other existing .NET frameworks and tool capabilities. Right. Uh, and the maturity of that environment uh, coming into the web client space. You know, knowing that WebAssembly simply runs in the same context as JavaScript, doesn't it make more sense to just use JavaScript control suites such as they exist rather than need to reinvent them in the language du jour? Well, maybe, but I think in a lot of cases, the frameworks that have come into being um, 
are tailored not only around the browser environment, but also around the strengths and weaknesses of JavaScript. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see that you know, even if you take the web out of it, if you look at frameworks that uh, support F sharp versus C sharp, and yeah, they can interact because they're all running on .NET. Right. But um, they don't always interact in a nice way. And you yeah. wouldn't probably choose to use F sharp to program uh, against a object-oriented C-sharp based UI framework mm -hmm. because there's a impedance mismatch. And I think the same thing is true here with frameworks, UI frameworks designed around JavaScript that aren't inherently object-oriented like C-sharp. I, I think there's an, you know, there's a impedance mismatch there that um, needs to be overcome. And what you said before was really rang true with me, which is, we have invested a decade or more into the desktop sort of backend languages that, you know, before uh, before JavaScript, you know, exploded on the scene. I mean, it, it's always been around, but before it exploded, and that there's a lot of developers out there that are just still struggling with with all of this web stuff. Well, I think to some degree too, Carl, this is uh, generational because mm. um, you've got people like myself and, and you that were doing VB for, you know, and, and smart, rich client, you know, fat client, whatever term you want to use right, back sure. in the nineties. Yep. And, you know, you look at the VB evolution, by the time you get to VB six, things were pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And, you know, then we did the, the web did a reset on us and then .NET did a reset on us. And you know, it took five years or so before, uh, Windows forms really got close to where VB6 was, right? Uh, you know, 2005, mm. and it took, I, I think, even longer for the web to get there. Certainly, and you know, there's a lot of reasons, not just technology. There's a whole lot of business and you know, big big picture reasons why the web has had its big ups and downs. But yeah, you know, now it's only been a few years, a, a short few years, that we've had really good. Uh, you know, UI frameworks like Angular and now React and Aurelia and Vue, etc. Sure. I remember going to conferences in 1999, 2000, 2001. And at that time, conferences were a whole different thing than they are now because you had, oh, yeah. even at a normal tech conference, you had people in suits and people with piercings and tattoos, high school dropouts, and then professional software folks you know, all mixing together. Yep. And it was, it was a weird and kind of heady time, but there were hallway debates and lunch over, you know, people were like, ah, oh, the browser should never become a rich thing. It should be a, a terminal based deal. We want to run all of our code right, on the lean, server. Lean, lean, lean all the time. Yeah, right, right. And even at that point, there was a camp of people that were arguing, no, 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 the, the browser should be the, the platform for writing all of our code. We shouldn't right. worry about Windows and Linux and blah, blah, blah. We should just write everything for the browser. It should be the smart client host. It should. That, that was the contention. And a lot of companies invested in that. You know, you had the, 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 the Chromebook come out, you know, the, the Google thinking about the browser as the operating system. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah this idea has roots way, way back. And that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. And just now, I think we're starting to see, well, over the past few years, we've seen a, a real emergence of this space with single page apps and all of the JavaScript TypeScript type frameworks. Right. 
Um, but it's always, I've always felt like there was this really massive, quiet group of enterprise developers who have been sitting in the background waiting for something better. Yep. Something that didn't require them to go do JavaScript and, you know, throw away you know, all of their existing tech knowledge and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and whether WebAssembly is or isn't that, I, I personally think it is. I think that it may take it another two or three years to mature to the point, you know, but but I think that's why there's so much interest, yeah. especially in the Microsoft space, is because all of these people that have spent amazing amounts of time building really cool apps with, right. you know, Windows Forms and WPF and even Silverlight or UWP perhaps, um, they're like, what is my path forward? Right. And yeah. now we can kind of get a glimpse. I mean, it's like, oh, I think I see a path forward. Right? Right. This is quite exciting. It is quite exciting. How, what's the state of the um, uh, asm.js based .NET runtime that, uh, that Blazor is sitting on top of? Well, there's a couple pieces to this. So there's the old asm.js concept, which has really become a fallback for older browsers mm -hmm. that runs WebAssembly. JavaScript is actually running the WebAssembly. Right. Yeah, that's how it started, right? That's how it started. And now all of the modern browsers, so Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and Safari, to you know, current browser versions, uh, all support uh, native WebAssembly. Yeah. So in that case, the there's no JavaScript involved. It's actually the, the browser has a WebAssembly engine right. sitting right next to the JavaScript engine. And Mono runs on top of that or is implemented in WebAssembly? That's correct. Yeah. And so there's a implementation or, or compile target for Mono that targets WebAssembly. Yeah. And then Blazor sits on top of that mono implementation that's running inside of WebAssembly. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. And then there's also a project and and I think maybe you've had Frank on the show uh, I'm not 100% sure but uh called uh We O O U I. Uh talking to him on Thursday. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Um, and and that's uh yeah, so I mean, this this to me too is part of the really exciting thing, right? right? So you've got Blazor, which is out of the ASP.NET team, sitting on top of Mono, which is really out of the Xamarin team, mm -hmm. and that's all Microsoft, but two different teams, right, working together, yep, to create this future. And then you've got one hundred percent community based stuff like this We project, which is Xamarin Forms running on top of Mono in WebAssembly. Yeah. Spoiler and alert. It's like, holy cow, right? <laughs> this is, and that's why I talk about, you know, the, the communities that uh, exist around Go and Rust and Python. And, you know, I, I just can't imagine those communities not getting excited about this sort of thing as well. Yeah. And saying, oh man, I could have, you know, my language of choice. Right. Um, running in the browser natively with a, with a UI framework that's, you know, conforms to the way my language works and the way that my worldview works. Right. Um, th this is really, I think we're just at the inception, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I, I really quite optimistic about the future of this whole thing. Yeah. And guys, hold that thought for just a second while we take a moment for this very important message. Hey, guess what, Rockheads? Progress Telerik wants to send someone to build. So they're having a contest. 
Step one is to sign up and learn about the new innovative modern UI tools they'll be announcing at Build. By registering, you'll be entered to win a full conference pass to Microsoft Build plus a $500 travel stipend. They're also giving away three Telerik DevCraft UI licenses. And for .NET Rocks listeners, they'll also be giving away a Telerik DevCraft UI license every week. All you have to do is register at buildcontest.pwop.me. That's buildcontest.pwop.me. Progress offers the leading platform for developing and deploying mission-critical business applications. The creator of the award-winning Telerik.net and Kendo UI, JavaScript user interface components and controls, reporting solutions, and productivity tools, Progress offers all the tools developers need to build high-performant, modern apps with outstanding UI. Go now to buildcontest.pwop.me and sign up to win. And we're back. Rocky Lotka's here with us. Uh, I'm Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, .NET Rocks. And uh, we're talking about uh, Blazor, this amazing project, and, and how it may breathe new life into, uh, well, at least in the .NET space, certainly, uh, but a lot of these um, other technologies, non-web technologies that now suddenly have a way to reach out and be deployed just as easily as a web app. Let's talk about the the component model or the you know what they want to do with the component model for Blazor. Does this have legs? The, is it possible that we could bring back an actual marketplace for software components again? I think that's a realistic consideration. Uh, obviously, at this point, Blazor is really new and very experimental, mm -hmm. but. There's no, and it, there's no doubt that when you look at even the way it is right now, uh, and, and just so we're clear, because not everybody may know what Blazor is really all about. So, on the client, in the browser, having nothing to do with any server at all. Mm. So, on the client, you've got assembly code running in WebAssembly, and Mono is built on top of that. Right. And so you've got literally you have .NET running in the browser. Yeah. But not like Silverlight. It's not a plugin or anything because WebAssembly is a native piece of the browser. It's literally just like JavaScript. And then on top of Mono in the browser, then you've got this ASP.NET project called Blazor, which is really the Razor engine yeah. uh, along with some other stuff. Uh, lifetime management or, you know, like page lifecycle and whatnot, the things you would expect, right? right? Routing, layouts, and so forth. Sure. Running in the browser though. So, the you know, you, you compose your UI using Razor syntax, which is a smart move, I think, because a lot of people have learned Razor over the years. Right. right. And, but this Razor, this, you know, your Razor syntax stuff here is actually being uh, compiled and rendered, if you will, in the browser. There's no server components to it at all. And the code behind your Razor pages is C-sharp or .NET code. Mm -hmm. And so, as the user clicks buttons or does, you know, otherwise interacts with the uh, web page that is rendered ultimately in HTML, but you know, based on your razor, but any events that occur, you end up handling those events in your C sharp code that's running on the client. Nice. Right. So 
in this regard, <laughs> conceptually, it's identical to the way you would think about Windows Forms or WPF programming. But it's the program model of MVC. But it's the programming model kind of of MVC. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they borrowed a lot of concepts. Yeah. Right. Can um, get confusing. It, it, well, Where is my event happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's exactly right. And this is where folks that have spent their career doing smart client development, I think, have a leg up because we're already yeah. used to this model, right? And I think this is where uh, folks that have spent their career maybe doing Razor on the server um, have a, a major learning curve. It's the same learning curve we all went through, uh, you know, years and years ago as smart client developers when we had to learn how to do server-side web programming. Right, right, sure. Right? Only it's the inverse. It's like, oh, you can actually maintain state between pages and you can use data binding in a rich way and, um, you know, you can uh, do, uh, like, if, you're, if the user's entering some complex order, uh, you can do all of the uh, pricing and tax calculations and even discount calculations right there on the browser, which you, know, you can also do in JavaScript. But there's this mentality by a whole lot of folks that I talk to. It's like, no, 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 it's running in the browser. All that, co all that stuff needs to run on the server. Right. And, of course, for everybody you know, who wrote VB6, Windows Forms, WPF, we're like, no, why would you do that on the server? Right. I, I can do all that on the client. Why, why would I waste time going round tripping on the network and uh, wasting server CPU cycles when my, e even my uh, uh, cell phone is essentially a supercomputer. The, yes, you know, right. It's like multi-core. Multi <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the demo that uh, Scott Hanselman did at Dev Intersection in the spring on Blazor, he showed in studio and all the stuff was, you know, super beta or even alpha that he had his validation code in sort of a shared library all written in C sharp that ran and it was literally the same lines of code that ran both on the client and the server. So you could, right. you know, because we, we've always had that problem with web development where it's like, yeah, you want to validate on the client because it's nice and responsive, but you still want to be very sure before you're, you know, calling on the back end and trying to write to a database that it's validated again. It just sucks to write validation twice. Yep. Well, and what he showed is not just shared code, but it's a shared DLL right. because mm. that shared code um, is a net standard to DLL or project. Yep. And the DLL is literally deployed to the client and the server, but it's the same DLL. And of course this caught my imagination as you might guess, because wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of like framework that helped you keep your business logic in a, you know, organized fashion and had a rules engine and maybe even supported data binding, um, mm. that was designed exactly for this scenario. Right. And had been, you know, being built over the last 20 years. And yeah. lo and behold, I got CSLA running on uh, blazer. See, I was going <laughs> to ask that question is like, when are we going to see a blazer implementation of CSLA? And yeah, you, so there. It sounds like it wasn't that painful. It was not. There, there definitely are some weird gotchas, uh, and I suspect a lot of them will get smoothed out over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you because know, this, like you said, the Blazor and Mono stuff is all alpha at this point in time. But yeah, but yes, it took me maybe two days worth of of futzing around 
most of that time, uh, they, there's not yet uh, debugger support for the client side code in Blazor. Right. For obvious and, reasons. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope they can fix it because I got to say that that um, or the first third of my career was was pre kind of pre Windows, right? It was right. All, all DECVAC stuff, and most of the debugging back then was done using uh, print statements. Yep. To, you know, print line. Yes. Ah. So I I got I got uh, a walk through memory lane on how painful that world was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Remember when we used to do this all the time? Uh huh. But it, you know, yeah. it must make you feel like okay, you know, this is actually doable, and this is a realm, a milieu that I'm comfortable with. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, like like I said, you know, this idea of having a shared DLL, um, same code running on the client and the server, uh, and being able to run all the business logic on the client to give the user a great experience, right? And then if you feel the need, you can rerun the logic or some of the logic on the server to you know, revalidate what was done. Yep. Um, yeah, this is literally the world I've been preaching for 20 years. And so having a, a, uh, technology from Microsoft that, that uses this concept as its centerpiece, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, to me, is just obviously very uh, exciting and kind of validating. Yeah, no. Well, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? I must be that happy time again. Yes, sir. It's time to fix some Star Trek holodeck code with my Razor Blazer laser phaser. <laughs> oh, no. uh, uh, uh. I could have just said blazer phaser. But, you know, add a few more alliterations in there. It just ups the silly, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. Thanks for not laughing, Rocky. That was really awesome. (laughs) Um, It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from our friends at DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. You know, everyone knows that DevExpress has great desktop controls, but their web tools are simply amazing. They have this collection of HTML5 JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. And at the heart of this product line are these really powerful controls like grid, chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. Big controls. But DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls. Data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls and general purpose controls like a filter builder, range slider, file uploader, scroll view, and more. And since they're all HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. Plus, DevExtreme controls come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers, so they're infinitely flexible. Nice. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive now at dx.netrocks.com. That's dx.netrocks.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Andrea Angela. Congratulations, Andrea. Yes. Golf clap for you. And uh, Andrea just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And you too can be a member. Just go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join up. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All right, Rocky, it's been a while. You got five grand, you're going shopping, what are you going to buy? Well, I'm going to take a different twist on the uh, question this time, because 
I've been doing a lot of uh, work in the kind of diversity space in our industry. And I think if I had five grand, I would push it toward some of the groups that are running code camps for girls or women in technology or other uh, diverse groups. There's uh, some similar things for uh, inner city kids, uh, you know, that ha- might not have access to a lot of technology. And mm-hmm. uh, I would push it toward those type of organizations at this point. Awesome. That's a, that's a very cool thing to do. I always love to hear that, you know, when somebody's giving back to kids and giving technology to kids. Great stuff. For sure. Uh, just on a random chance, literally yesterday, I spent the whole day with a pack of middle school kids talking about jobs in STEM. Wow. And, you know, it's, 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 they're middle schoolers, right? Yeah. They're the, the, they're the 13 and 14 year olds that there's, they're, they're basically a biological manifestation of an eye roll. Yeah, right. But when you can light those kids up with some ideas, stuff they just haven't thought of or didn't know about, it's a great moment. Well, you know, for me, it was right around eighth or ninth grade is when the fire got lit and you know, I realized just how much fun this whole computer thing could be. So, yeah, I, I mean, that that is the time. You really have to be involved or, you know, somebody has to uh, present to the you know eighth and ninth grade type group that this stuff can be cool and can be highly creative and it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that I learned when I did this a few years ago with my, when my kid was in uh, middle school was not, uh, not to concentrate on the technology so much, but what you can do with it, right? Show the magic show like, yes, I wrote this program and here's what it does. And I'm going to show a little bit of code, but I don't want to overwhelm people. I want them to just catch the fire. And say, wow, I, th- I want to do that. Yeah, isn't the key to get them to say, how did you do that? Exactly. And then you show them the code? You want it like, uh, I, I told this story before, but I have this app that I, I use um, uh, sockets and in particular UDP to connect to a MIDI keyboard and play my piano, which has a MIDI receptor in it, the grand piano, remotely. And uh, when I did that and I showed people the Skype of, you know, my keys going up and down that wasn't anywhere near the school, you know, the (laughs) kid stood up in the back and goes, that's not real. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you come up and play something. And he did. And people were just losing their mind. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I love everything about that. I had one kid yesterday that was your typical disengaged why am i at school kind of kid and uh, we were taught at some point the conversation turned to mars and he wanted big glass domes holding an atmosphere over mars i'm like well look we got these radiation problems so we'll probably be underground in lava tubes and later stay buried and then he asked a couple more questions which was great and then in the hallway afterwards caught up with me again it says isn't there a way to make glass that's radiation proof and, you know, because of the way my brain works, <laughs> I said, what you're looking for is boron nitrates. You go look up boron nitrates. If you can make them transparent, you could make radiation-proof glass. Wow. And he went running away, and his teacher said, that's the most excited I've ever seen that kid. That is so cool. Now he's got a mission. Yep. Yeah. And it happened to be I read a paper from NASA about they're trying to put boron nitrate stranding into spacesuits to reduce radiation exposure. So. Who knows? Awesome. Who knows? Who knows when you actually move someone, change their career path? That's right. You know, we this we were not going to see the results of these efforts we've all been involved in for ten years. Yep. 
So uh, where do you see this going? blazer well i'm rather hopeful at the beginning of the show you guys were talking about build and and i will also be there and i really am hoping that microsoft has some good content and enthusiasm around blazer uh, but even more importantly around mono on wasm right because that's that's the base right you know blazer is a really cool experiment and i do hope it goes forward but more important is that we get some solid supported implementation of .NET running on WASM, um, on top of which other things can be built, you know, uh, you know including uh, you know, the, the Wii project. But who, you know, who knows what other people might think of, right? Yeah. And Do they really call it WASM? Yeah. Uh, it's WebAssembly, but yeah, yeah. it's WASM. WASM. So yep. that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to have those buzzy, fizzy words to say. You totally. Know? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how Microsoft sort of hedged here, where they've moved it over to ASP.NET. It's no longer in Steve Sanderson's personal repository. But th I guess they're just looking to see if we care enough. That's what it seems to me is we're going to have to generate demand for, for Blazor before they would productize it. That does seem to be their approach at this time. Yes, is that they're they're putting this out here. They are continuing to work on it. Uh, in fact, just this week there were a couple releases, or last week, but within the last couple of days, um, and yeah. They, they, so there are there's kind of this steady pace of improvement. There's a uh, a lot of activity on the repo and GitHub. There's also a Gitter uh, channel that has pretty nonstop dialogue. There's wow. there's a bunch of people that are um, answering questions, asking questions. Hmm. I've, I've, I've mostly been in the asking mode <laughs> so far right. um, personally, but, uh, but it's really active. The community is uh, very open and receptive. Uh, a lot of people trying a lot of different things, uh, you know, so it's not just like, you know, CSLA getting that working for me was a big deal, but there's other people that have been trying uh, other frameworks, their own frameworks, creating brand new frameworks. Yeah. Um, you know, to your question earlier, Carl, uh, will there be a component based model in the future of this mm -hmm. thing? I strongly suspect the answer is yes, because yeah. the, you know, this thing is just designed in a way that, that, uh, it makes it pretty easy to envision how someone would create, uh, UI components that would plug in or, or, you know, backend components like CSLA that would plug in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I totally see that happening. Yeah. We know of, um, some, uh, component vendors that are already working on it. Really? Yep. Wow. I don't know if I can say who they are, but, no, uh, we better not. I, but I, <laughs> but I know they're doing it. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking at the closed pull requests on the blazer project. And, I'm, and I, look, I look at two things that are important to me when I'm sort of evaluating a project like that. One is how often are PRs being uh, closed? And it's every day. And the next wow. is who's contributing? And it's not the top 10. Like the top 10 contributors, definitely Steve Sanderson, Dan Roth, like guys like that are contributing. But I also see non, you know, rock star contributors, like when regular people are contributing to a project, mm. that says a lot to me about where it's at and yep. what's going on. And they want it to succeed. Yeah. And make no mistake, Steve Standerson is still a god who <laughs> yeah. is driving so much of this. But the fact that other people are putting pieces in place 
that there's a there is a sense of a community around here. It's only thirty or so contributors so far. This is a weird language thing. It's it does say something very interesting about what's going on here. Sanderson is the most humble genius you will ever get the pleasure to meet in person. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you, my friend. Yeah, unbelievable absolutely. human being. Yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. The, the weird part about Blazor, and I think it's sort of a subtle thing, is the reason they're using mono is you need that C version of .NET, because in the end, WASM depends on LVM and the, and the whole C compiling path. Mm. They can't use .NET Core because it's written in C Sharp. Yep. And may, maybe that will change in the future. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that happen. But right. um, f- f- frankly, though, I guess... I'm not sure I care because Xamarin runs on mono. Right. Yeah. I mean, isn't Xamarin converting to core? I think that's on the roadmap. Yeah. And, and this is where I kind of suspect too that if if uh, if we all look at this whole uh, Wasm, Blazor, uh, you know, whatever tech, you know, Xamarin forms in the browser, all, all this stuff, right? And yeah. as a community, we get as excited about it as – Again, I really think there's just this massive pile of of developers and code, uh, smart client code that has been dead ended for like the last five or six years, right? Sure. And so if this does provide a reasonable path forward and there's some enthusiasm, I got to think that Microsoft would figure out how to get .NET Core running in the browser. Because it's ultimately right. in Microsoft's best interest. If this is an important thing, is to try and get to one code base. Like you don't this fragmentation of .NET. It's a problem. Yep, it is. And and like I said, you know, just when I was trying to get my stuff running uh, in the browser, some of the issues I was running into are mismatches between uh, Mono and net standard right just tweaky stuff some of it is because the current implementation of mono in the browser is using an interpreter it's not pre-compiled right and so the the working theory is that some of the issues that uh, that i ran into with with my code but also if you try to use uh, newton soft's uh, json uh, serializer parts of it work and parts of it don't and the parts that don't are failing for the same reason my stuff is. Ah, and, it, and the the theory is that it's probably because it's the the mono interpreter that just can't handle some of the more advanced scenarios. Right. And so now my brain, you know, digs into that old education around compiling and so forth. It says, what would they have to do mm. to take .NET Core and get it wasmable? So they they're literally going <laughs> to. Is that a word? I'm I don't sorry. think that's a word. I made a word. I think I just made up a new word. <laughs> I'm embracing the word, man. <laughs> but you're talking about essentially taking C sharp and generating WASM from it then. Like that's a mm. non-trivial chunk of work just to have a consistent code base. But it might be worth it long term. Like it, you, it's I'm what I'm also thinking in terms of is this is a metric of commitment by Microsoft. If they bypass that old mono code base and go into more direct, this goes through .NET Core, mm. you'll know they're all in. Well, that's true. Substantial investment to, to make that happen, like you said. And I, I kind of suspect that what we will see, or if, if anything, but I cross my fingers and hope that we see some great conversation around this at Build, 
even if they just commit to building out Blazor and on top of Mono and and really putting some energy, uh, you know, because right now the Mono thing is also experimental. So if they say, sure. hey, we're going to get Mono working on WASM with a pre you know, native compilation, a pre-compiler, so right. it's not running in interpreted mode, um, even that level of commitment is non-trivial. No. And especially and, if they get it all compliant yeah. with .NET standard, maybe 2.1. So that in yep. theory, you don't need to only have one chunk of source because the standard, you know, gets you there. The, the code that you've written that was running against .NET Core should run in Blazor against the mono under the .NET standard. Right. Today's mono is, from what I can tell, 99.99% compliant with .NET standard. So why yeah. does that 0.1% keep spanking me? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's because you're, you're doing things you shouldn't do. You're don't, playing on the edge. Don't do that. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and when I, say me, when I say me, I really mean you, Rocky, that you're finding those edges. <laughs> well, it, but I am playing on the edge, and I right. freely admit that. So, um you know, if, if there are going to be differences across some of these platforms, and, and frankly, there always are. I mean, that's, sure. you know, the, we live in a, a world now and, and for the foreseeable future, I think, where there's constantly going to be these new platforms popping up, right? New mobile OSs, do, you know, new thises and thats and devices. Um, if, if Microsoft can keep... Uh, you know, .NET Core and Mono and the uh, UWP version of you know, .NET Core and, and and all of those compliant with .NET standard for, if, you know, if, if those of us that are writing uh, frameworks that live on the edge have to deal with some pain, yeah. we chose that life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for everybody else, though, realistically, you know, you shouldn't ever see that pain. Right. And I don't think most people do today. I think you know, if you are at this point building your code for for net standard, you'll find that almost without fail, your normal code, business code in particular, is going to run on full .NET and .NET Core and Mono. Yep. And it will probably run just fine in Blazor right now too. What's the story for um, uh, hardware uh, access, you know, to things like video cameras and uh, – audio services and low level things and file access because those are all things that you know while there's new extensions that are coming out for browsers to be able to do that they're still a little wonky and sandboxed somewhat and uh, and you know we don't we don't want uh, a security risk what's your thought on that i don't see that changing other than what we've already seen because WebAssembly runs in the browser, just like JavaScript. And sure. so it's in the same sandbox, right. has the same limitations and the same capabilities. Right. And so, yeah, when you get to GPSs and cameras and USB devices, et cetera, uh, the browsers have to support that. Right. And expose it, it, expose all of those services in a safe way to whatever is running in the sandbox. Yeah. You know, and they haven't been all that good about being standard. I mean, they're getting better, but they, they haven't been all that good. And mostly because, let's face it, they run on every platform. They have to implement those low-level things for each platform and make them consistent across all of them. And it's not I like these th hardware platforms ever change or anything. <laughs> I, I got to think, though, that the browser, you know, really, we're only talking four big browsers, right? Right. 
that that the people they've got to be feeling pressure you know not just because of WebAssembly, but you know even already from all of the javascript typescript type work that's being done mm. that as the browser uh i honestly think as the browser does become the client side runtime in place of uh, mac os or windows or whatever and i'm sure pissing some people off here but but i really think this is the case right is yeah. that over the next few years we're going to see that that just 90 some percent mo most code ends up non-games anyway ends up just running in the browser right, right cross-platform and um uh, as an app developer i don't care if my consumers are mac or windows people um as long yeah. as they've got a modern browser Right. But that does put the onus on on Mozilla and Chrome and Edge and Safari. Yeah, that they are they are now the client side OS. They are the runtime. They are the runtime. Yeah, and so this was what Mark Andreessen was proposing in the nineties. That's right. And it's a great vision, isn't it? Yeah. And now it's coming true. But I also think the um, progressive web app is taking JavaScript in the browser to all of the capabilities of a desktop development environment. And then WASM is a way to take all those desktop development environment languages or, you know, smartphone development languages and also make them available in the browser. Mm. So the browser just becomes the nexus of client-side development. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, we didn't even talk about PWAs until now, but I think that's another key component of this future. Um, yeah, so especially if you look at what Microsoft is doing with this upcoming release of Windows 10, where uh, PWAs are a first-class citizen in the Microsoft Store, right? You know, and and then you start thinking, oh, I could write my PWAs using uh, you know, Blazor and C Sharp. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, oh, this is a pretty interesting alternative to yeah. uh, click once with WPF. It's getting yeah. There. Well, and, and you know, if you look back on the shows the past couple of months, we've been feeling around about this. We've been talking about better installers for smart clients. We certainly talked about PWAs. We certainly talked about Blazor. Like it's all coming at this point of where enterprise development is going to be done through the browser. And it's, I just wonder if in the end this comes down to because deployment. Yeah. I, I've thought that was true since the, you know, what, 97 or something when the web started to really emerge in in the enterprise space is that the, the real driver here is that, you know, and I'll put a lot of the blame, frankly, on Microsoft. They mm -hmm. never came up with a great way to deploy at the time VB six apps, right? Mm -hmm. If they would have provided that, you know, we might not have all jumped on the web as fast, but you know, we couldn't, we wrote all these apps and couldn't deploy the darn things. Sure. But, and I think the actual hard problem there was the security element. Because the browser sets the context for security in that sandbox, you don't have to jump through the strongly named uh, assemblies and certificate requirements and so forth that many of these installers are demanding on because it's the only way to make the kind of code you're able to stall in a smart client onto a desktop machine safe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. You're, you're, you're not running on the you you're using the local hardware but only within the bounds that are deemed safe for or freely downloaded code right which yeah, you, doesn't solve every problem but you know and and you know, I, I get in these discussions sometimes and people are like oh yeah yeah but i need to do x y and z and what if i need to reformat the hard drive or something and i'm like well 
you know, your typical business apps don't need to do that, yeah. right? So yeah, the, the main the answer is why would you do that? <laughs> How about this? Don't do that. Uh, yeah, there's certainly going to be classes of apps that don't work this way, but for your typical enterprise you know, forms over data types apps, and even the more modern ones where we are going to be playing with cameras and GPS and motion sensing and so forth, more and more the tooling looks pretty good for that. It, it also hits me that you talk about it back in build 2011, the original build, when they were talking about what Windows 8 was about, there was sandboxing going on in your, in your installed apps. Like they were trying to solve this problem the other way and people hated it. Uh, people being yeah, developers. Well, yeah. It, that's exactly right. It's the same kind of issue when they first added, uh, what was it called? U, 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 UAP, the, the Windows Vista. UAC. Oh, yeah. UAC, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they maybe went a little overboard, but it was the same deal there. Yeah. All the way back to XPSP2. And I kind of chuckle at everybody. You know, we were all spoiled, right? Ah, oh, we can do anything we want. Yeah. Um, and they add those dialogues, which were a little obnoxious. But if you're a Mac user you were, or a Linux desktop user, you were already used to that model. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, Microsoft maybe went a little too far. And now they've backed off to be pretty much the same as Linux and Mac. And so, um, it's but it is. It's a culture change for developers and for end users that, you know, you have to meet in the middle. But for most, like you said, for most business apps, you know, I'm displaying data maybe in some really nice, rich ways and I'm collecting data, but it's all going back to a server. Right. And I don't need to do fancy low level manipulation of my physical devices, hard drive or, or mm, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so why can't I run in a sandbox? Yeah. Yeah. Why shouldn't I? Why, uh, why, why wouldn't I press those security requirements over to the container essentially to the browser so that it has control over that and i don't ever have to think about it as a developer it's already done i just uh hope the the visual studio tooling continues to evolve and get better because you know that's where a lot of us are these days and uh i i'm looking really looking forward to it yeah me too and and i think you know the the bla you know one of the advantages of what they're doing with blazer is that you uh of course, right now you have to run the Visual Studio preview, um, but it all comes packaged in a v6 file. And so you just install the Visual Studio preview, you install the v6, and, and off you go. You've got Blazor templates integrated in. Mm. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, the big limitation right now is that there's no client-side debugging. Yeah. But um, we, we hope that I think that's on their roadmap. I mean, I think that's a, a thing that they will figure out how to resolve. Well, Rocky, it's always great to talk to you, and this was no exception. It's an exciting time. Uh, we always say this, it's an exciting time to be a .NET developer, but this is really, really uh, hitting home for us. So thanks for sharing, and we'll see you, uh, where are we going to see you, Build? Build. See you at Build. All right. See you there. Great. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios. 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a